Hey lovelies and welcome back to Matcha Moments. It's Car speaking here and I hope you're doing really well, you're staying safe and you're enjoying the festive period. This week I unfortunately could not join this episode and this conversation which makes me very sad but Leo is joined with Colleen who uses her Instagram and YouTube platforms to discuss posts around body positivity, self-care, food freedom and recovery. I'd like to give a quick trigger warning to say that this conversation dives deep into eating disorders and can be a hard topic to listen to if you're going through something similar. We also want to apologize for the audio in this episode. There was a lot of background noise that got in the way and so we are very, 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 very sorry if it's distracting or a bit off-putting. But besides that, we think this episode was a really, just a really good conversation that is important and we are really grateful to have had Colleen on the on the podcast and yeah we just hope you enjoy this episode first of all thank you so much for coming on our podcast i am so excited to be speaking to you today and from following you for a while on instagram i think that your voice and experience will be so valuable to any of our listeners and what I really appreciate about you and also following your account is that you are so honest and vulnerable whilst also giving that actionable advice and you also aren't afraid to say certain things which may be controversial and I always leave your account feeling better and it's not that typical sort of toxic Instagram content it's a really supportive space. Before we go into the main bulk of the episode, would you maybe be able to give just a quick intro about yourself for anybody who's listening and maybe isn't aware of who you are and what you do? Sure, yeah. So my name is Colleen um, and I run, like you were saying, an Instagram account. Um, It used to be Gains and Goodies, but it since has changed to Calling Out Diet Culture, which is like a play on my name. Um, But yeah, I started it, I think, last January. So it's been almost a year of having that up. Um, and I started it sort of in the midst of my recovery from an eating disorder. Um, and yeah, it, it, it just, I've always found ever since I sort of joined like the recovery community on Instagram, that it was very like welcoming and positive. Um, and so I decided to make my own account. I found that on my like other main account where I was actually following like people I knew in real life and everything, there was always this certain level of like, you know, it was kind of like a facade or, you know, trying to show your best face, even if you weren't feeling the way that the picture was reflecting. Um, So I kind of wanted that safe space. And then it went from sort of like a safe space account to actually being able to give people advice. And like you said, like actionable um, ideas about how to confront their own eating disorders, or even just, um, you know, body image struggles. Um, diet culture struggles it really I've found that and everyone can sort of relate to the whole process just because we're all so immersed in everything um just you know all the different advertising and I know just really everything in society is touched by that whole diet culture message now so yeah it's just it's been a really awesome opportunity and it's grown a lot in the past couple of months um which I'm really thankful for because I get to talk to a bunch of different people every day. And yeah, it's just really great. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's actually crazy how 
I think before you sort of get immersed into the diet culture space or kind of inform yourself a bit more, I don't think you even realize how entrenched it is in everything that we consume and even just like Mm -hmm. everyday conversations I have with colleagues or, you know, friends that maybe I don't, I'm not that close with. I can sort of tell now that I've sort of looked up into it a bit more, you know, how it's just, I think, ingrained in people's thinking, I think especially women, but also men as well. Yeah, definitely. It's so pervasive for sure. Yeah, I think it's actually scary how I think most people don't even realize it. And it's even like in advertisements or in series, it's kind of that sort of diet talk is so normalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the amount of people that I, I come across who don't have eating disorders, who find my page and they will, you know, either message me or comment or something and say, like, I did not even realize that was like a disordered action. Yeah. Um, because it's just so normalized. So much of it is normalized. Yeah, I guess it's almost, which is really sad, but I think for a lot of women especially it's almost unnormal to have a completely you know healthy attitude towards eating or towards your body or anything like that like I've got one friend of mine and she's just always had such a positive relationship to her body and I think that's so inspiring because I honestly don't know that many people in my personal Mm -hmm. life who have had that experience yeah which is sad but (laughs) yeah you're so right so especially in this episode we wanted to kind of focus on recovery obviously because that's what your account is mainly about but also more specifically how to deal with sort of potential challenges and toxic mindsets or triggers that could be brought up as we're now reaching the holiday season I guess you've also just had Thanksgiving over in the US so I guess starting off uh, could you sort of share with us your personal story with sort of body image and recovery obviously just as far as you're sort of comfortable to share Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, my background growing up was actually very healthy. Um, I didn't start to fully get into that. Like, I need to be smaller, I need to be eating, you know, what everyone traditionally says is like healthy and certain portion sizes until I got to college. Um, And I guess you, I I don't know, do you guys say university? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so university. And um, I kind of, was all of a sudden surrounded by girls my age who were in constant comparison with each other and not even in like a really blatantly or like overtly um toxic way it's just kind of like subliminally like you're just kind of on you Mm -hmm. know such a small level like comparing small things um and I really got into that mindset I think it had to do a lot with the fact that I'm like a bit of a perfectionist um I definitely had you know just kind of tendencies that made me like take everything to the extreme like I just went like a little bit further than what everyone else did um and eventually spiraled into like I said um an actual like full-blown eating disorder um so that went on for I think like a year and a half ish I was kind of like on and off and how severe my like behaviors were but I eventually like chose recovery um you know got into this whole world of treating yourself like a friend and getting out of that whole toxicity. Um, Sorry, I don't know if you can hear. There's like a, I think my neighbor is mowing their lawn. Um, (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) I'm so sorry if you can hear that. But um, yeah, so I started to like start this whole journey of realizing that like you don't have to constantly be trying to make yourself the smallest you can be. And actually in doing that, like, I feel like I made my life a lot smaller, too. Mm. Um, Like, I was more socially isolated. I didn't want to go to events where I thought I was going to have to eat food that I, like, didn't want to put in my body. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, it, it was just awful. It was really awful. So now I'm, yeah, like trying to treat myself like I would treat a friend, um, with like exercise and all of that. I think my go-to is just like not having a mindset of like, I'm doing this to change my body or keep my body looking a certain way. It's like a more mental thing. Um, and just like feeling good. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of weird to talk about because it didn't really happen overnight. It's just a long process. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it just like has been like a gradual evolution. I think that is important to acknowledge as well. Yeah, that it is a journey, you know. You, I don't think there's ever going to be a point where somebody can be like, oh, I'm 100% recovered. I'm never going to have a single toxic thought pop into my brain, you know. You're just going to be in a better headset than maybe acknowledge that thought and be like okay yes I have this thought but actually I know better now I know how to treat my body better yes and I'm gonna do something else instead yeah it's definitely less about like getting rid of all the thoughts that pop into my head Mm -hmm. and they are actually becoming less and less the more I work on it but it's now more about like okay I have this thought but like actionably now what am I going to do yeah about it like am I going to act on it or am I going to do like the complete opposite just to prove to myself that I don't have to, you know, fall into that trap. Yeah, because I think it's so funny because obviously a lot of people who deal with eating disorders or even just disordered eating, you know, we're all very Mm -hmm. intelligent, you know, accomplished people. And it's somehow sort of being controlled by these truly irrational thoughts of trying to physically sort of starve our body or not give our body the nutrients that we need. So it's actually, it is so irrational when you think about it, but somehow you know, that sort of part of our brain sort of switches off when it comes to this topic. And I'd be interested to know why, if it's if it's like entrenched in, you know, maybe beauty ideals and yeah. you know, wanting to shrink yourself. And it's, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I think like, I, I know I can't speak for everyone, but I think for me, a lot of it was like, even though like rationally I knew, I mean, I'm, I was like a pre-med student and all of this. So I had taken like nutrition classes. Yeah. I knew that what I was doing was completely wrong. Um, but I think for me, it was more of like, being able to follow a set like schedule and a lot of like the like counting like either I know some people do like macros or like calorie whatever like it was being able to have that structure and my brain just clung to that and it was like okay well this is like something measurable that I can do um that like I can track and be super rigid about um so yeah it was like really really irrational but I think just having a certain structure was what kind of like kept me going back to it if that makes sense yeah because I guess it does give you comfort in the sense that it's also a way to control an aspect of your life yeah you know exactly what you're gonna get out of it by doing certain things so yeah definitely yeah and I'm really interested to know so what made you ultimately decide you wanted to commit to recovery because I think I I saw an Instagram post of yours and you said sort of you chose recovery because of FOMO and I, I, that really, that sentence really interested me. So could you, could you just explain that a bit more? Yeah. I mean, like for a lot of people, I know it's like, you know, they get to a place medically where they can't go on or, you know, it's like this yeah. rock bottom, like epiphany type situation. But for me, I literally, like I said, I was in college. Um, I got to my last year and so many of the events that we were doing to like celebrate, um, or just, you know, like, it was, like, last things, um, like, before I was going to leave and graduate and get a job and everything, I was missing out on because I didn't want to go because of, like, the headspace I was in, um, and 
I just really, really got sick of that. Like, I was like, I am wasting my time right now, my life, basically, not doing these things that are going to be super memorable. Um, and it kind of became, like, a values thing. Like, it, it was less like, okay, I physically can't do these things because of, you know, being disordered. It's like, it was like, I can't pursue, like, the connection and the, like, friendships and everything that I want to be pursuing. So, I think I just got tired of it, honestly. And, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I wish that it was, you know, something more inspirational or, like, yeah, but it was it was pretty much FOMO. <laughs> yeah. I think that's exactly it, though. It's the realization that if you want to actually live a life that's fulfilling and of you making memories, it's that's what you have to choose. You know, it's, right. it's choosing yourself and right. a life that you feel happy with. Definitely. So I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's inspirational in itself, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it definitely was for me, I guess, because it got me here. Yeah, and that's amazing. Um, <laughs> also, like, that is so hard to do, you know, so I think you can be really proud of yourself. And especially because I feel like you've turned it into such a positive thing. You know, it's not only that you have recovered, which is a freaking hard thing to do, but it's also, you know, you're using that hardship that you've experienced and are now trying to help people that are dealing with similar issues through your Instagram. How did you come up with the idea to make that account? So it's actually funny. Before I did make that whole decision to recover, um, I was sort of like stalking a few pages myself just to see other people's journeys. Um, and they were so helpful mm -hmm. to me. It was so nice to be able to reach out to someone and just say, hey, like this happened today. I don't know how to deal with it. Like, what would you do? And so as soon as I made the decision to do that myself, I, I, I just wanted to be a support to other people, especially once things started going in a positive direction for me. I was like, now I actually have valuable information that I can share. Because um, I remember when I was like first thinking about making it, I was talking to my mom and she was like, well, how are you not to be rude, but like, how are you going to help people if you're like just starting out yourself? And I think that even if you're on like day one of recovery, like there's still like mm. insights and motivations and inspiration that you can lend to other people. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I went through with it and it's, it's been really fulfilling for me too. And honestly, like posting reminders and things really helps me too. Like I'm reminding myself yeah. also. Um, so it really keeps me accountable on the other end of it. I think that's such a good point as well. And um, talking about sort of support in your recovery, what do you feel like sort of has helped you most or even like still helps to this day? Definitely um, having people around me who know exactly what I need and like can be there as a resource when I need them. Um, something else I think is really, like I said, having that values mindset. Like if I'm having a thought to do something that's, you know, very clearly disordered, I can kind of fact check it mm -hmm. and check in with myself and be like so is that moving towards what you know I value and what I want myself to be and be like or am I moving away from that and am I going back to like isolation um you know it's so much like lying and deceit and all of that um and just doing that check-in really helps a lot too yeah and speaking of like people I guess supporting you how did you start opening up to family or friends I don't know who was like the first person because I feel like that's almost the first step because in confiding in other people I guess you're making it real you know you're putting it out there and you know then that 
right people will then pick up on behavior that you then might portray and it's not as easily sort of glossed over yeah definitely you're kind of exposing yourself at that point you can't really because yeah there were a lot of stuff that <laughs> a lot of things that I was doing that I was doing a very good job of hiding like a very very good job of covering up because I was terrified of anyone finding out and making me stop so yeah when you make that decision to like kind of come out you're like putting everything out there um so I guess I was really nervous the first thing I did was I texted um a very good friend of mine from school um who's always been very like body positive and very vocal about like you know just being like self-compassionate very big mental health advocate um and she very very strongly um you know just I, I guess she kind of reinforced what I already knew which was that like my parents were going to be just glad that I told them um, and be supportive, whatever. Um, so I ended up then texting them, telling them what was going on. They called me. Um, I actually, when I was first starting out, I did have like a support team at the school. So I made, you know, like an appointment with like the mental health services at the school. And they hooked me up with some different, um, you know, providers, professional um, professionals who were there to support me too. And yeah, it was just like a a long process of kind of stepping outside of kind of being embarrassed because there is sort of a stigma. And I think a, like it's especially with people who do or who have been brought up in a way that's not, you know, super diet culture or, um, you know, they haven't really been exposed to that as much. I felt weird about it because I was like, why do I feel this way? Like, why am I doing this? Mm. Um, so there was a lot of like shame and stigma. So being able to step outside of that and just advocate for what I needed, you know, be a self-advocate. Yeah. And I mean, how did your parents react when you first confided in them? I'm extremely lucky because they've been, you know, from the get go, very, very supportive, um, you know, they've just definitely done everything possible to make sure that I like got to the place where I am today, which I'm, you know, so extremely grateful and thankful for. Yeah, not everyone, amazing. not everyone has that. Um, yeah, I was extremely, extremely fortunate in that case. Yeah. I think that's so special. It's kind of like, you know, your safe haven, you know, it's good to have those few people in your life where you mm -hmm. truly know you can, you know be completely honest with and even if it's I, and I think it's even scary with those people you know you you know in the back of your mind that yeah. they're gonna love you unconditionally but there's still this sort of you know shame aspect which might make it sort of hard to do that initial step in you know being completely honest for sure yeah you know something that I always am saying like on my Instagram and in general too is that like even though they didn't really understand exactly what I was going through or like the irrational thoughts that I was having, I think that if you strip it down to emotions, like it's so easily translatable, you know, like not everyone understands the actual like depth of the guilt and shame or why you're feeling it about doing a certain thing, but they at least understand what guilt and shame feel like. Um, so if you, you know, just strip it down to like the emotion, it's so, it's so much more, it's just, it's a lot more or less daunting to talk about, I think. Yeah, I fully agree. So speaking about your Instagram, how do you feel like, you know, obviously you said that it kind of has helped you in your recovery process, like probably connecting with people and holding yourself accountable, but have there been any sort of downsides to it as well? I don't know, how do you make sure that your feed, I guess, doesn't play into that like comparison culture aspect? Yeah, it definitely in the beginning was a little bit more tough to navigate. I think until you can spot like kind of red flags, 
um, it can be a little hard, but I think it just became about really looking at the people that I'm following and really being honest with myself about whether or not they're beneficial or they're a little bit triggering or yeah or are like inciting a lot of comparison because sometimes people have a lot of good things to say but just seeing them in their account every day still like just isn't mentally good for you yeah um if that makes sense um so I just stripped it way down um and I became a lot more picky about yeah what I was seeing on my feed every day and that helped enormously and that's I mean I feel the same way about my platform too like if I'm triggering to anyone for any reason. I definitely am going to 100% advocate for them to just unfollow. <laughs> um, I'm totally fine with that. I think it's it's really just about protecting yourself and putting yourself first. Yeah, because I guess nobody can tell what's going to be triggering to somebody else. And it's nothing against the Instagram account in specific. It's just whatever's going to be only harmful to, to somebody. And I think that's why I think the mute button is great. I mean, people always say it, but even if you do have to maybe mute friends accounts, which you can't unfollow publicly, I think that is a really good shout. Definitely. Oh, for sure. I feel like there's plenty of people too, like especially on my, like like I said, quote-unquote main Instagram (laughs) that I never go on anymore um who are like wonderful gorgeous people to hang out with in real life um but they're just their their feed is toxic so yeah speaking about Instagram accounts can you recommend anybody who you love following like recovery accounts or general like inspiring accounts yeah I mean there's there's so many (laughs) um I mean pretty much anyone I follow on that account is gonna be like an amazing human um I really like um recovery and discovery her name is Lily she's great um one of the first accounts I was following on there um rebuilding rose for younger people um is really really great but I she's like a very old soul I feel like (laughs) I get along with her very well um for like a growing account, um, like a newer one that I really love, um, Ava's body is just wonderful. Um, I, th- I think the problem in a lot of times in the community is that it's people who um, have, you know, and this applies to me too, have the best of intentions and everything, but they mm-hmm. recovered into a straight size white body. Yeah. Um, so it's like the diversity is not always the the greatest um mm-hmm. you do have to kind of seek out out diversity which is kind of a bummer um yeah I I definitely think that those three are amazing there's I could just keep naming them oh <laughs> Gina is awesome oh I follow um, her as well I really like her feed <laughs> yeah eats, eats with Claire is a good one I follow um, her as well my gosh <laughs> yeah there's just there's so many good ones yeah great positive rabbit hole to fall down I know right because I feel like if you follow one account then often they'll like tag other people on their stories or I really like that when you follow somebody and then underneath it immediately says like which similar accounts you could be interested in yeah I love that (laughs) that's very helpful I think it's interesting what you say about like recovering into sort of a straight size because that I guess is definitely an aspect that plays into it right whether that's sort of maybe also judgment from other people because obviously recovery looks different for everybody but I think it is a sad fact that people will probably judge your recovery process in a different way if you were to recover into a larger body size 
yeah I don't know how do you in general like how do you deal with sort of changing body weight or you know weight gain because obviously I think our bodies are changing all the time so I guess it could you don't know where you know your journey is going to lead you and whether you might be in a larger body down the line definitely and I think that like that's the end goal of the process is to eventually get to a place where you don't tie that to like worth or you don't really look at anything as good and bad in relation to body size um yeah in general um but yeah I think like for me really when I was starting out honestly I just had to kind of take a break from mirrors um I still don't weigh myself so I don't really know like what the number tied to my weight would be um just because it you know like actually scrutinizing all of those body changes every single day was taking a toll on me um so just stepping mm-hmm. away from that until I felt more, um, like, centered and better able to do that without it actually possibly triggering me to act a different way, um, to try to, like, you know, lose weight that I was gaining or whatever. When I felt that that wasn't going to happen, then I was able to kind of reintroduce everything. Um, but I think also the thing that really helped me was just um, sort of realizing that I couldn't have both you know I couldn't keep doing what I was doing to my body to keep it small and have a fulfilling yeah um and you know be be free and happy um and that's kind of the the main thing you know you you kind of have to choose like would you rather be miserable in a small body forever or would you rather break free of that and possibly look different but be living a fulfilling life yeah I completely agree And I guess speaking of sort of, you know, the fact that, you know, you still weigh yourself and I completely agree. I, in general, I think the scale is very, like, I don't see how that would benefit anybody, but what sort of are some current like practices that you are implementing or sort of focusing on in relation to consistently keeping up with improving your relationship to your body or also relationship to food? I just spend a lot of time with it nowadays. Um, Like I said in the beginning, when I felt like sort of, triggered like something what might trigger me to act a certain way I avoided it but now that I know that I feel solid enough to keep going despite you know however I however negatively I might feel when I look in the mirror um now I feel comfortable just like literally like when I hop out of the shower I'll just like sit there for like 10 or 15 minutes just kind of like sitting with it getting accustomed to it especially when things are changing fairly rapidly and relation to recovery like yeah it's it's just about sort of adapting to those changes um and sort of desensitizing to them um but things I I feel like really anyone can do in or out of recovery are just like anytime I start to have some negative thoughts I put a stop to them um and I immediately say like two or three kind things to myself oh I Um, love that so sort of like yeah so sort of just like replacing the thoughts um I'll put sticky notes up in my mirrors sometimes um, with positive affirmations too, which seems like a really small thing. Um, but it's just like these these small things over time that sort of add up to changes, like evolutions, you know, in mindset. Because, um, you know, when I first started, you know, going to like therapy and hearing all of these things, I was like, this is not, this is like so just like ridiculous putting a sticker up in my mirror is not going to change how much I hate the way I look. Um, but really like it's, it's more just about like training your brain. Um, like I guess teaching it what 
the things that are important to focus on are, and body weight is not one of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess just all those like small reflections, um, really do add up over time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Also, like in relation to sitting with your body a bit more, I think it is in a way just like also exposure therapy. You know, you kind of have to confront your fears and realize that it's not it's not as bad as you think it may be. For sure. And I mean, it, to an extent, too, because it's also like, yes, like I can familiarize with myself with what I look like right now, but I might change again in the future. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely will. <laughs> Whatever, you know, that means. But like, you know, with age or if you were to have a child or... Um, you know, maybe something really hard happens in your life, so you're turning to food for comfort more than you were at a certain time. Um, it's just, it's all about realizing that change is inevitable, um, and you have to accept yourself at every stage. Yeah. No, I really like that message. And you obviously said that you went to therapy. How did you sort of start that process for anybody maybe thinking about wanting to start therapy or treatment in general? Yeah, so when I originally, like, first set out um, down this path, when I, you know, had just spoken to my parents, I got set up with, um, like a mental health service at my school where they provided me with a therapist to start out. Um, and she was really great. Um, she actually had just come from an eating disorder recovery center. Um, so she was like the best possible therapist that they could have set me up with. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. It was kind of like a jump start. Um, and then from there, I've just kind of, like, bounced between um, providers in terms of, like, medications, um, uh, you know, working on, like, body image, food, things, <laughs> all of that. Um, and I think that therapy is really good, at least for me, in terms of, like, being able to talk to someone who's outside of my friends or family without judgment um, yeah. and getting those basic tools. But I think really like most of the work that I've done happens outside of therapy. Um, it's, it's, it's more about like changing my mindset. I think, I don't know if I really answered your question, but <laughs> no, no, definitely. I mean, I've never been to therapy, but I do think I'd be really interested to go just because I think it would probably be helpful to anybody, even if they maybe don't think that they're struggling with anything in specific. Cause it's just definitely exactly what you said. It's kind of an objective voice that, you know, doesn't know any of your family or friends personally, they're not kind of, they don't have an emotional stake in your life. But I think that means that they'll probably be able to give you very good, rational advice, and maybe just ask the right questions to lead you to have those realizations that you need to have yourself. 100%. Yeah, I, I think it's really like, I think it's something that should be and it is becoming more but I I would like to see it go even further, you know, becoming more normalized. Um, I almost wish that it was as common as like, you know, going to see your GP every six months or whatever for like a a checkup. I wish you would get like mental health checkups every so often, just because even if nothing is wrong, yeah, it's just a really great sort of release or time to just kind of reflect. I, I saw an Instagram post, I forget who it was, but just recently on calling out diet culture where someone was saying like, (laughs) they went to their school guidance counselor six or eight times um, and still didn't know what they wanted to do with their life. Then they went to therapy once and within that session figured out, you know, what they wanted to do (laughs) career-wise and goals for their future and all of that, which I thought was really funny. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, 
it's 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 a really great to have um an objective person that you can talk to about anything that's going on yeah I think in general like speaking of stigma and sort of normalizing it a bit more I think it's the same with I mean this is veering a bit off topic but I think also medication for mental health problems you know I don't understand why there should be any difference made around it versus sort of medication that you would take for physical body aches or pains you know nobody would judge that but then people seem to judge people who might take medication for certain mental health struggling like struggles that they're dealing with which I just I think you know I think our society has improved already but I think we do have a long way to go still definitely I I definitely agree with you um there's still yeah especially like for certain things too I feel like you know with certain mental health issues they are becoming a little bit more um visible um and seen and understood but there's still a lot of things that aren't um so I think too just like broadening exactly what we have stigma about too is a big thing yeah I agree and I'm guessing you're sort of just intuitively eating at the moment right sort of just like listening to your body in regards to food yes I did not I did not start there I remember like in the beginning I really thought that I had like broken myself (laughs) (laughs) like I was just would never go back to normal yeah. um, because of the way that I had been so rigidly eating for so long. Um, so I was on a meal plan to begin with um, where I had exchanges, which, you know, they would be like, you need one dairy and one carbohydrate and whatever for set meals during the day and snacks and everything. Um, and then I also really had extremely bad, extremely bad, extreme hunger um, in the beginning. So I was, I was not really even like eating to that meal plan, even from day one, I was almost always eating more. I guess that's Um, kind of like a restriction in itself, like having a meal plan. It can be for sure, which is kind of one of the, one of the controversies I would say in the recovery community, because it's like, they, they are really, really helpful when you're normalizing your hunger cues because it's you know, just a basic blueprint to follow. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you can't be following that for your entire life. Um, and, you know, when you go out to restaurants and everything, like trying to figure out the exchanges when you're sitting down at a birthday dinner, like that's oh, not <laughs> realistic. Um, and yeah, it, it can kind of keep you, um, it can sort of keep you stuck if, if you're, eating too closely to it for sure especially because if you want more like if you're still hungry after the exchanges like you're not gonna restrict yourself just to be on the meal plan but sometimes you know a disordered brain will tell you you should so that can be an issue too yeah speaking of extreme hunger do you follow stephanie buttermore because i i really enjoy her channel yeah so i don't i don't actually know if i follow her on instagram but i definitely watch her youtube content a lot in the start of my recovery and i even just watch it now just because i think she's so funny um i love her personality Mm. but yeah she the experiment she did i don't think she ever really explicitly says that she had an eating disorder um but she obviously was you know counting macros counting calories all of that for um bodybuilding or i don't even know like body competition i'm not sure um but yeah, no, her, her journey with becoming an intuitive eater is really, really inspirational. I loved that. And all she, she includes all of, like, the science behind it, too, which is great. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I definitely recommend her to people who are going through extreme hunger for sure. Yeah. I really enjoy accounts that co- sort of incorporate the science side of it as well because then it's just even more, you know, realizing it's the right thing even scientifically to do for your body. I think it's like a comforting thing to realize. Yes. Yeah, it makes it even more compelling too. Um, like I think to a lot of people, um, it's it's really a lot easier to sort of combat something so unreasonable with something so reasonable, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, for, for me, it was really helpful. Yeah. For anybody sort of trying to get into intuitive eating, do you have any tips for those people? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you have to start from a standpoint of, again, having normalized hunger cues. Um, If you don't have that, it's going to be just impossible for you to, you know, listen and respond to um, in the first place. So once you do have that normalized, um, I think for me, one of the most helpful things I did was sort of um, with like grocery shopping and making sure you know, sort of compiling all of the, like, foods I was going to have in my house that I could eat intuitively. Um, It was really important to have variety. I kind of went back and thought about all the foods that I really loved as a child um, and went back to, like, those flavor profiles and things um, when I was, like, buying more fun, you know, foods that would be, like, more fun. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, I think it's it's really important to just be open-minded and non-judgmental Um, because a lot of times when you are going from having a very regimented diet and sticking with that whole like health food, diet culture, low calorie, whatever you're coming from, um, you have all of these foods that your brain hasn't been able to have, like, you know, you've been like mentally shut off to them. So of course it's like, if you didn't drink water for a week, Mm -hmm. you would be guzzling it after that. You would be drinking so much of it. Um, and it's kind of the same with all these foods. Like when you finally open yourself up to eating them and eating as much of them as you want, you're going to eat a lot of them in the beginning just because your brain is like, oh my gosh, finally. Um, but you do, I, I think one of the hardest things with intuitive eating and when you're coming to it from like an extreme hunger standpoint too, um, is just sticking with it because it can be really scary. Like the first few weeks or months or however long where you're you know, kind of excessively eating all of yeah. these foods that used to scare you or that diet culture deems unhealthy or, you know, you shouldn't be eating them to the extremes that you are. Um, it, it takes so much time to desensitize yourself to them um, and for them to become like just food again. So really just like sticking with it um, and trusting in the process, I feel like is the biggest thing. Yeah, speaking of trust, I think it is all a journey of just like learning to trust yourself, your intuition and also like your body again, because I guess if you're trying to so rigidly control either your exercise or your food, you're implicitly telling yourself that you don't trust your body to do what it needs to do without that control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we think that we have all the science down and that we know more than however many years of evolution do, but... (laughs) It can handle itself. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Speaking of, I don't know, maybe fear foods or childhood favorite foods, those specifically come up a lot during the holidays, I think, which is generally what I wanted to talk about with you as well. Um, Because how would you say your perception of sort of holiday periods have changed for you before versus sort of 
during your eating disorder and then also after in recovery now? It's kind of funny to think about because I think even before I, you know, went through this whole, you know, spiraled into disorder and then came back from that and am now working on recovery, um, I still think that it was like, oh, like all these holiday foods are around. I need to eat as much of them as possible while they're here um, because like who knows the next time they're going to come around. And that whole mindset to me is like the, you know, sort of binge restrict mindset, Um, which is so funny Mm -hmm. now that I let myself eat anything I want whenever I want it and try not to judge myself for it. I feel like I'm actually like less inclined to have like, you know, this holiday, whatever, you know, people would call like overindulgence or which is a BS word in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. But, um, (laughs) you know, just kind of, you know, going crazy and like really fixating and focusing on the food. I think that's just, it's the knob has been turned down so far for me just because of like incorporating anything whenever I feel like I want it. Yeah. I think, I guess that's so freeing in a way, because I do think, especially the messaging around Christmas and then New Year's is so toxic in the way that it's like, oh, you know, overindulge at Christmas but then oh make sure that you then go to the gym as soon as it's January 1st like I think that's such right BS like yeah yeah I mean I, I I honestly think that it just yeah it sets you up for like feeling really pressured the day of to you know have all of those holiday quote-unquote indulgences as you can um yeah and, and then, that's your chance. <laughs> yeah, and then you just become a robot again and have to do all of these, you know, rigid things to make up for that because you've been so bad, even though you were waiting for that day to be bad or whatever. And it's just, I, you know, yeah. it's just, um, it's it mentally takes a toll on you. Um, whether or not you have all of those, you know, preconceived notions about food or not. So, yeah, I think just really being nicer to yourself and, not having all of those uh, like pressures bearing down on you is so freeing and so relieving yeah for people struggling with maybe disordered eating at the moment or trying to get into recovery what do you feel like people can do to sort of protect themselves from this messaging or potential triggers yeah it's tough because it's all around us um I think you know trying to find some sort of community like I have on Instagram or in real life, you know, going to, like, support groups and that kind of thing can be really, really helpful. Um, And just trying to remove yourself from as much of that messaging as possible. Um, Even at the dinner table, um, you know, like, recruiting your family that does know what's going on to maybe talk to the family that doesn't and just let them know that they should be a little bit careful about, you know, talking about how bad the food is for them or how much they're going to have to compensate for it later, all of that stuff. Um, And if you do have people in your family that aren't as supportive, sometimes, you know, it's good to go in with a time limit on how long you're going to spend there or having like a code word with one of your family members where you can remove yourself from the situation um, and, you know, come up with a little excuse to leave Um, Mm -hmm. and all of those things. I mean, it's really, you can be as creative as you want with it. But yeah, I think just like trying your best to keep in mind that your number one priority should be to stay on track with recovery and not change what you're doing based on the messaging that you're hearing because you're never going to be able to get rid of it 100%. It's just so, so, so pervasive. 
Um, so I think just the biggest thing is changing how reactive you are to it. That's, that's, you know, that's what you can really control, um, is you. So doing the best you can with that, with what you're given. Yeah. I guess that's exactly the point is why I think it can be so tricky around the holidays is that sometimes it can, you know, the most hurtful comments can come from family members, you know, people that you love so much. Right. Yeah. And then it's this whole thing of like, you don't want to be confrontational or controversial or rude, but at the same time, it's hurting you. Um, So yeah, I think, yeah, it can be, it can be a tough line to walk. Have you personally had those sort of confrontational moments with your family? Yeah, I have. Um, Most of it is unintentional, Um, you know, just kind of offhand things people will say without sort of realizing that they can be harmful. Um, And I think in in those situations, it's best to just sort of be blunt and upfront um, and say, you know, at least, you know, with my family, everyone knows what's going on and they are all generally receptive to um, constructive criticism, I guess you could say it but I'll just you know say like hey that really bothered me for this reason could you maybe not talk about that in the future or could we kind of end this conversation or could you have it when I'm not in the room because it's making me really uncomfortable um and generally you know they'll they'll be like yeah that's perfectly fine we'll just you know talk about it later or not talk about it it's okay um because yeah it's it's just crazy how often these things will come up without people even realizing that they are harmful because things are just so normalized now. Yeah. And I think it's often the idea of confrontation is often a lot scarier than actually the confrontation. Or I guess it doesn't even have to be confrontation. It's just a conversation because obviously most of the time, I think the people aren't aware that they might be saying something that could be hurtful to somebody at the dinner table. Right. Yeah, exactly. So just managing that to the best of your ability. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess there is probably a lot of like confrontation with like triggering foods, but then also this sort of binge restrict mentality. What would you sort of advise people to not fall into that trap? You know, if you maybe have potentially eaten a lot around the holidays and how do you sort of deal with that and just make sure that you continue to eat normally the days after as well? Um, I think that's a lot of like having just self-compassion for yourself. Um, and realizing that the more you perpetuate that cycle, the longer it's going to take you to get out of it. Um, you know, the biggest thing, the most important thing that you can do is just try to um, provide that stability for yourself and your brain and your body and everything just so that, you know, it doesn't, it's not constantly worried that it's going to be stuck in this feast and famine. Um you know, just trying to level things out and yeah, just realize that the longer that you keep it going, the longer you'll be stuck in it and it's miserable. So (laughs) yeah. And you mentioned exercise before at the beginning of the episode. Do you still like, how's your relationship to exercise now? I, I mean, I don't generally do, you know, really any of it, um, right now, just because I still think I'm working on that whole um, you know, connection and relationship. Um, I think just getting to a point, like I said, where, um, the things that you're doing are constructive for, like, your mood and your well-being, and they're not about, you know, again, trying to get that level of control over something, um, or keep something the way you want it, even, um, you know, 
Yeah. Like, it shouldn't be compelling for those reasons. I think with exercise, it is a lot about just trying to shift your mindset from, you know, doing it for aesthetic reasons to truly doing it because it's doing your body good. And I think it can be a longer process to getting to that point because I think often we maybe tell ourselves that, oh, we are doing it for those reasons, but subconsciously maybe some diet culture mindsets are still playing into that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It can be it can be tough to kind of parse out. Yeah. So I think it's actually like a very brave thing to do to maybe sort of take a step back from exercise and just because, you know, you realize that it might not be the best thing for you at that time and it's not it doesn't mean that, you know, you won't be able to do exercise healthily in the future, but it's just I think deciding what's best for you at that point right now. Yeah, and I think for me it's really just about you know, proving to myself that it's there, um, but it's not at least, well, really ever, but especially right now, necessary, um, unless, you know, I'm doing it for that beneficial reason. Um, I think, like, taking a break sort of shows you that you can take a break and nothing (laughs) catastrophic will happen. Um, There are definitely benefits to it, but Um, you know, I can always go back to them when I'm comfortable and I know that I'm doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing. And also, I mean, this is a bit of a random question, but you're obviously an EMT, right? Which is a very like specific, really cool job and very admirable. (laughs) Thank you. But I can imagine that it's also like a very stressful job, especially right now, right? And like, how do you deal with, I don't know, stress at work balancing everything and also shift work because I guess that also changes how you eat or probably influences right the yeah cues and everything yeah definitely um I am lucky enough that the agency that I work with is really flexible in terms of scheduling so I never have to work a night Mm. shift which I think is like oh that's the worst (laughs) for messing up you know sleep and meals and all that stuff Um, so I do work during the day, but again, yeah, it's like if the city is lighting up and everyone is having medical issues, then sometimes we don't, you know, have the opportunity to stop and, you know, have a nice lunch, (laughs) sit down for an hour and a half and, you know, take our time. Um, so yeah, I think it's really all about, um, like planning ahead and, um, you know, always having like snacks in my bag. Um, and just being prepared for that to happen. Um, and again, prioritizing me and what I know I need um, and what's going to be the most beneficial because I really can't fall into that trap of like, oh, well, you know, I missed that set period of time where I'm supposed to eat. So now I guess I can't. <laughs> um, yeah. And just, you know, doing what's going to be the best for me. But it has been a really fulfilling and awesome job I mean I yes there is like stress that comes with it um and like you said especially during coronavirus it's been a little bit more stressful than usual but I do think that they do a really good job of keeping us safe um you know I I actually have never felt um at a loss for PPE our agency has done a really good job of making sure yeah making sure we have enough oftentimes I feel like we're more protected than hospital workers which is crazy but yeah I mean that's just my small area though it's definitely not definitely not like that across the country um but I I myself feel very lucky in that respect that's really good 
I mean, for your job, like, what even inspired you to go into this field in the first place? Yeah, I think I, I can't remember. I think I mentioned earlier that I'm pre-med, so I um, definitely, you know, want to be a doctor. I'm applying to medical schools right now, actually. Um, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. um, So this was just something sort of actionable that I could do right now um, Mm -hmm. that would sort of allow me to have my own patients um, because, you know, it's kind of annoying going through all of the schooling where you're like, okay, like, this is biology, this is chemistry, this is like all this stuff. But, you know, I really just want to be like talking to people and helping them. Um, So this was definitely like the coolest way, I think, to put that into action. Um, It's definitely a lot of variety. You know, people are calling 911 for a myriad of reasons. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. You know. From, like, stubbed toes to cardiac arrests. So, <laughs> yeah. we get it's a very a, we wide get some, range. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's been fulfilling, and I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I guess it's amazing because it gives you that sort of practice, like, practical experience in the field that you want to go into. And probably, you know, if you didn't like your job now, it would probably be a good indication of, okay, maybe, you know, you wouldn't want to be a doctor in the future. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's made me more excited about the future rather than like dread it. So I I feel that that's a good sign. That's definitely (laughs) a good sign. (laughs) Because I do think, I think it's so hard, especially I guess with both sort of in the like beginnings of our twenties and sort of trying to figure out, you know, what is the career path I want to go down. And I think that's generally also maybe a tricky time for a lot of people in terms of okay wanting to control certain aspects I think a lot of what maybe could play into that is fear of the future and fear of sort of not knowing what's to come where your own path is going to lie so I guess knowing having some sort of purpose and direction in your career field I think that's amazing definitely yeah it's it's definitely um a good motivator you know to keep on track with everything too um just because I, I know that I definitely couldn't handle um any of it really without you know being the most physically and mentally health- healthy as possible yeah and I guess before we end off the episode because I don't want to keep you too long but I just wanted to ask so what the main thing is that you would want somebody listening to take away from this episode oh gosh <laughs> wow how do I sum it all <laughs> Big up question. um I I guess <laughs> just that you know you are in control of your own future and what you choose for yourself. I think, um, you know, in the beginning of everything, I just felt very trapped and out of control, even though, you know, I had the illusion of a lot of control. Um, I was spiraling out of it. So I I think that even during those times, I always had, um, you know, the opportunity and the capability in my hands to pull myself out of that and ask for the support and the resources that I needed. Um, And it took me a really long time to realize that. Um, Yeah, so I I would hope that people would kind of feel a little bit more empowered um, to do any of that. I don't, (laughs) this is so hard. I'm like thinking back to everything we talked about. We covered so (laughs) much. (laughs) No, you're fine. No, I like that though. I think it's, uh, I don't know if you've read the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. 
I can highly recommend it. No, but it's on my oh reading list. Oh my god, list. it's so good. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people recommend that to me. I'd, honestly, it kind of led to like an emotional epiphany I had this week when I finished it because, and one of the things <laughs> that she says is like, you can do hard things. And I think, you know, that's something good for us all to keep in mind in line with that message. You know, you are in control. And even if it might sound scary to you, you can do it. You know, it, it is going to be hard, but yeah. you are stronger than you think you are. Definitely, definitely. And then one question that we always want to ask our interviewees at the end of the episode is who is an inspirational woman either in your life that you know personally or sort of, I know, somebody famous who you look up to? I guess in, you know, in terms of recovery and all of these things that we've been talking about, the number one person who helped me the most, I think, was um Tabitha Farr Farr I don't even know how to pronounce her last name that's that's actually awful that I don't (laughs) um but I'm always reading it um she um is just an amazing person she has her own podcast she has her own blog um she has an Instagram account but she's not as active on there um I think she has a YouTube as well um but she is just so fabulous she also has a book called Rehabilitate Rewire Recover um and it just, you know, kind of has everything we were talking about in it. A lot of the science, um, really, really actionable things that you can do. Um, she talks about everything from extreme hunger to um, dealing with family and relationships. She's just really, really great. I love her so much, and I owe a lot of, you know, my sort of progress and achievements to her. So it seems right that I should give her a shout out. (laughs) Oh, I love that. What is our podcast called? Oh, gosh. I think it might also be called. I'm literally Googling it right now. Because I think it might also be called Rehabilitate Rewire Recover. I'm gonna have to give it a listen after this. I'm intrigued now. It's it's actually great. Yeah, she has several episodes. Um, So it actually looks like it's literally just called eating disorder recovery podcast <laughs> that might be why I didn't think getting that to might the be point. why I didn't think of it <laughs> right it's um there's there's no uh confusion about what that's about yeah I love that well thank you so much for joining us and calling me you know on today's podcast episode and yeah it's meant so much to me that no I'm glad we were finally able yeah, to yeah I know it's it's taken a while but um, I think it's been like for me personally it's been such a great conversation and like it's been so valuable to hear your advice and I'm sure that everybody listening will feel the same way I appreciate that and yeah I'm always available to you know talk more or answer any questions or whatever I'm I'm very available <laughs> <laughs> I love that I think that's a great thing about your Instagram as well is that you you know you are so engaged with with your audience and so sort of reactive and sort of easily responding to people I think that's that's a really great thing and it must be hard like I can't imagine how many sort of how long it must take you per day to sort of reply to dms and comments and all of that yeah it's 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 all worth it I mean like I said it helps me just as much as I feel like it helps anyone else so yeah I like doing it yeah I hope you have a great rest of your day and again thank you so much yeah thank you yeah thank you to everybody listening speak to you next week yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.